Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve Clear. Thanks for joining us at another Next Level Brands Podcast. Our show today is being brought to you by Next Level Brands CPG Community a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf, the Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, provides knowledge, training, courses, networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners within the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce experts. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, we're going to have a fun show today. Joining me on the podcast is Corwin Heatwall, a founding farmer and CEO of Farmer Focus. A sixth-generation family farmer, Corwin grew up working in his family's Shenandoah Valley Farm. He founded Farmer Focus in 2014 with a dream of creating a financially viable farming business he could pass down to his own children. While he was farming, Corwin was repeatedly told, farmers don't start poultry companies. His retort was that Farmer Focus is here to prove that they can. Today, Farmer Focus is the number one exclusively organic chicken company in the United States, partnering with over 70 independent farmers who continue to improve the standards of raising chickens organically and humanely. He has committed his career to coming up with new and innovative ways to answer the question, what can we do to improve generational family farming? And we're going to get some of the answers to that today. Welcome to the show, Corwin. Well, thank you, Steve. It's a privilege to join you today. So I I guess I'd like to start off kind of on that a little bit of larger industry scale, and then we'll jump back into your personal um, journey. But let's talk about chickens and the chickens that we eat, because we Americans eat a lot of them. Um, People have heard, they may have even seen things about, I guess, what is called industrial farming, for lack of a better term, uh, or at least a polite term. Um, how How does that look? What companies dominate? How does that whole system operate? Yeah, the, the poultry industry is very consolidated, even to where um, now there are three companies that produce over 50% of the country's uh, poultry needs, which um, I've uh, recently read that you know Americans uh, consume about 8 billion chickens annually. So you know th- those are some large numbers, some staggering amount of chickens. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and obviously, in, in industrial farming practices are not necessarily um, best for the chickens, but also um, not as good for flavor, not as good for a lot of things, right? Yeah, the focus from the industry has been on how to produce the most pounds and the least space at the least cost. So naturally, that's not what is best for the animals. Uh, nor the farmers when you're focused on um, entirely about cost and, and how to produce cheaper. Um, so that's where the environment for the chickens has suffered when the, they pack as many birds in each barn as possible. And, um, you know, the feed uh, rations are cheapened um, as much as possible. So um, it has uh, continually uh, squeezed on the animals and the farmers over the years. And and I was in a grocery store not long ago and, and saw a package of chicken breasts, two halves, and I would not have wanted to met that chicken when it was alive in a dark alley. <laughs> it was just, it was not, did not look like any chicken I ever saw when I was growing up. And it would be scary, a scary bird um, out there. But um, so 
obviously that's not a path you wanted to take. That's not something that you did coming from being a family farmer. Talk to us a little bit about, about that, about your family's farm, and then uh, how you kind of made that transition. You're still a farmer, but farmer to more entrepreneur. Yeah. So when you grow up, you know, immersed in, in something, you see what works, you see what doesn't work. Um, and then, you know, in my early 20s, I purchased my first uh, poultry farm. And that's when I started to really understand the economical challenges um, that are deep in the uh, poultry industry. And obviously, um, wanted to do something about it. But like you mentioned, uh, I was told many times over the course of the years, farmers can't start chicken companies. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't let that stop us from trying to uh, to bring a solution to these challenges. And um, and that's what we have today with farmer focus. It brings a solution to all the key challenges that exist in the poultry industry about how the farmers are squeezed with lack of ownership of, of the uh, inventories on their farms and you know not being like invested owners in the process and then bring back the natural environment for the animals where the, the chickens can thrive and taste good and um, you know, it has to work. It has to work for everyone. It has to work for the farmer, the animal, the environment, and the consumer. When you were running the first poultry farm, so what happened? I mean, your chickens grew up, obviously, whatever. But then, how did you market those chickens at that point? Well, when you when you produce for an integrator, um, you don't have to worry about where your chickens are going. They're going to buy your chickens. In fact, they own the chickens on your farm. The only thing you own is your farm. You don't own the uh, any of the process that is there. So you're you farm by their playbook and you do uh, what you're told and you have very little operational control of your farm. Um, and it's de-risked because they uh, they own it and they're going to take it. But that also uh, limits the farmer's uh, ability to run his own farm. And it also limits your profitability. So they're in a sense like leasing you the chickens. Yeah, you know, it's like you you don't want to take care of, uh, you know, someone else's pet for your, you know, its whole life. But that's what you're doing. You're taking care of uh, someone else's animal and um, getting paid a tolling fee to do it. So in in that. okay, so you have that business model and then you want to change that. How did that sort of evolutionary idea come about? So I started with um, testing the markets on my own farm. And that's where uh, in spring of 2012, um, I ordered 300 chickens and certified a farm organic. And uh, that was a little bit of a leap of faith because I had raised millions of chickens, but that was the first chickens I'd ever owned in my lifetime was those 300 <laughs> chickens. Wow! And not one of them were sold. And I remember telling a, a farm employee at the time, well, if we don't find a home for these chickens, at least we're going to eat good for a long time. And I don't think I really thought it through because that would have been about 1,500 pounds of chicken. And I have no <laughs> clue what I would have done with all that chicken. But fortunately, we found a home for not just that, those 300, but the demand to go to 1,000 a week and then 2,000 a week. And um, that at that time, we'd really made a, an incredible breakthrough. We were uh, we owned the birds on our farm. We had complete operational control. We were farming the way we believed was right for the animals in our operation. Right. And 
it was profitable. We were making about $2 per bird on average, when before with Integrator, we made 36 cents per bird. Ouch. And so, I mean, this was this was revolutionary. But we're in a but we are subject to a live bird market, which is more vulnerable. And we knew that in order to expand and protect our new found farming success, we needed to create process and capabilities. And that's where, as an entrepreneur, came the big leap of faith into something that I was not comfortable with. We knew farming; uh, we was comfortable there, but to uh, create process and capabilities was was a big leap because when we decided that we needed a processing plant, I had never set foot in one ever in my life. So this was a, a whole world of unknown. But right. that those processing capabilities are what uh, allowed us the capacity to process and sell more than I could produce just on my own farms. And that's where uh, the opportunity to partner with other farmers came and thus the uh, creation of the farmer focus model, which is the structure of the relationship and how we partner with our farmers. Because we got a group of farmers together, sat down around a kitchen table, and we asked them, you know, what, what do you dream about? And they said, well, I want to own the birds on my farm. I need to have operational control of my farm. And one of the the big ones was, I don't want to be paid in the tournament style systems that the integrators use to where in order for one farmer to win, another farmer has to lose. And so that's what the farmer focus model brings to our farmers is uh, solutions to each one of those challenges. And um, Corwin, real quick, for benefit of those who may not know, including me, what's a tournament style pricing? It's a little bit complicated, uh, <laughs> okay. um, but it's it's a system to where um, they all the birds that come to the processing facility for, for the week, let's just say that's 20 farms. They come from 20 different farms. Uh, they take an average performance line and then each farmer that performs above it gets some of what would have been paid to a farmer that was below it. So regardless of how great a farmer's birds are, uh, he's going to be compared to the average uh, performance for the week, and that's how his pay is going to be set. So he, so um, if all the farmers bring in the most beautiful birds, that doesn't mean they're going to make a penny more. Right. Got it. Um, in this chain, right? All right. You've stepped to the next area, which is processing. Uh, processing requires a whole bunch of things, including capital um, and um, and regulation. Uh, our, our friends we were talking about from the USDA. And uh, so how did that all evolve? How'd you go from farmer to, we're going to build a plant, boys. <laughs> Let's do this. That is a that is a uh, a complicated story, and it's um, you know I knew almost nothing about processing, so I first started making phone calls to everybody that I knew that knew something about processing, and I tried to surround myself with uh, as, as many smart people as I could, and you know we made a lot of mistakes, and um, you know we we were rapidly working hard to put this plant together, and then. You know, someone told me, well, you need a you need a grant of inspection from the USDA. I'm like, what? We well, when are we supposed to start that? Well, you were supposed to start that like months ago. So, you know, we're scrambling to, you know, uh, apply for our grant of inspection and and do those things. But that's where um, you know, uh entrepreneurs kind of you learn as you go. And that's just part of yeah. part of creating something. So 
Okay, we have we have farmers and we have farmers who want to have control of their chickens and operations. Now we're moving toward putting together a processing plant. But the other end of that is where those processed chickens go. So can you talk a little bit about how you got retailers and 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 uh, folks in food service, whatever, interested in buying a more expensive, organic, humanely cool chicken? So when we started um, off, we were uh, focused primarily on um, the challenges that farmers face and bringing solutions to those challenges, which we was exceptionally good at. And we were not focused on creating a brand that would be attractive to consumers. We had a good organic uh, product and all of our farms were certified humane and and, uh, certified with Global Animal Partnership, which was um, attractive animal welfare uh, claims, but we uh, had no experience in how you market that to consumers. And so our um, focus at that time was just to bulk wholesale this product to others who would further process it and uh, provide it to retailers, make it available to consumers. Uh, we quickly found that that was not a sustainable path for us and that we needed to form those relationships with retailers directly. So we started scrambling to uh, create a brand that told our story. And that was a couple year development to uh, develop the farmer focused brand as it is today um, that really represents what we are about and the differentiators between uh, what we're doing and others that really uh, connect with the consumers and bring them that level of transparency that they're looking for in a brand. Along the way, I, I, I mean, it, it's been fortuitous that during the period of time that you're doing this, there's also this rising awareness amongst consumers of the food they eat, the you know what goes into it. There's certainly there's been an organic movement that's been really big for 30, 40 years, but now we've evolved a gluten-free, vegan, whatever the, the next one is going to be. But the awareness all the way around has increased. Label reading has increased. And what's been fun has been seeing that people are actually willing to pay a little more money for something that's a lot better. I mean, it's, it's, it, they've demonstrated that they will, you know, you know, build a field, they will come, but create the product and they will, they will buy it. Um, when you when you were going down that path for the brand and stuff, um, were you looking at folks like I'm just going to say Wegmans because you know we we both know Wegmans, uh, but stores that were willing to a put put it in there or local stores or how how did you start with that distribution model? Well, yeah, the the distribution model started with whoever was willing to buy our chicken because you know we just yeah. were desperate to get the volumes up to where we could run an efficient processing facility. Um, and obviously, we had you know target customers who were were uh, you know demographics and and you know their customers were the kind of consumers who would want to vote with their dollars and support a brand that was doing things differently. Um, you know, and it, it was through the evolution of developing our brand through 2016, 17, and then officially relaunched in 2018, as to where. You know, we we heard the consumers call for transparency and traceability, and that's where we developed that the meet your farmer uh, feature that's on every package that allows yep. no matter what 
what part of the bird or, or what product it is, every package is traceable back to the farmer that raised that bird so that consumers can meet the farmers. But it's not just important for the consumers. It's important for our farmers as well. And they are excited to know that over 70,000 people traced back to their farms last year and wanted to see them. And some people send them notes and thank them for the delicious bird that they raised. And we pass all those notes to our farmers. And our farmers feel empowered. They feel a part, an important part of the company because they are. You know, we like to kind of, we like to uh, position ourselves as the uh, processing sales and marketing arm for our farmers. And and with that level of transparency and traceability back to what our farmers are doing and all of the, the hard work that they do and and the the other uh, you know focuses we have on animal welfare and environmental impact and then when so when the consumers vote with their dollar uh, they know that that is uh, going funneling right back to more family farms and that and that also helps with the farmer because I'm not sending this off in a truck to I don't know where the heck it's going. It's I there's some people out there and I know who a few of them are actually that, that are gonna you know consume this. Um Corwin real quick how how do they find the the farmer focus website? Uh the farmer go to farmerfocus.com. Yep. And uh then um it's very easy to navigate the meet your farmer feature and all of our farmers are featured there on our website. You know a lot of companies well, they will poster a a farm, an ideal farm, and they will uh, represent you know what is a a poster farm of theirs. But um, we like we think it's important to bring the level of transparency to where a hundred percent of our farms are available to our consumers. Yeah, it's uh, I had a conversation with uh, um, a, a a guest a while back who was in the advertising business before he got into the food business. And he had worked on a photo shoot for whether it's a dairy council or a milk or land lakes, I don't know, but dairy of some kind where they had, they picked out these in, in the, in the advertising industry, anything that we have that is a perfect thing to photograph is called a hero. So like, you're going to do a car, you got to have a hero car, can't have a scratch on it. It's got to whatever you're going to have a hero box of cereal. It has to be perfect. It can't, whatever. Well, he had his agency had to find hero cows. So literally going in and they were, they shot it in California and going and finding hero cows to be in this, in this commercial. Then the place that they had, they wanted to film it with the perfect grass and the perfect hill was a state park. Oh it wasn't a different at all. So we're going to, we're going to go out and we're going to put up a temporary fence, right? We're going to literally, and I'm going, don't tell me you helicoptered the cows. And he goes, no, no, but we, we could have, if, that was necessary, but he said, we didn't have to do that. And he goes, so here's his idyllic thing. And then he said, they're trying to get them to stop looking, the cows, to stop looking at the cameramen and camera people because they want them chewing some grass or looking. But they're like staring at the humans going, what are you guys doing? Why are we here? I'm not yeah. feeling good. Yeah, it was great. So, yeah, that whole thing of that, that, that transparency of, you know, getting away from, you know, um, you know, well, you know what a farm looks like. I grew up on a farm. So it, right. It's some of it's not picturesque, but um, you know, it, at least we know where the stuff is coming from and, and where it's going to. I think that's a great idea. The meet your farmer thing is just, just awesome. I think that's a, uh, it really, yep. you know, guys, go ahead. One thing that's a, that was important in the development is to listen to your end consumers. 
and and really uh, pull pull them and understand what they want and adapt uh, your processes accordingly. So, and we know that that has attributed to the acceleration of our our sales and our you know um, traction with the brand that is that is now in over twenty five hundred retail outlets. So, is to listen closely to your consumers. What kind of things do consumers talk to you about with you know the flavor profiles or the bones or to be what's the feedback you get? Uh, our marketing department would be a lot better to answer that question, but <laughs> it's really broad. Um, you know, you have the the consumers that really want to meet the farmer and understand where the food comes from, and you know, probably every time they they purchase the product, they trace back to the farm. There's others that really focus in on the animal welfare and our standards of how we create a natural environment for the animals. There's others that really want to dig deep into uh, the partnership and how we pay farmers fairly. Others are are more concerned about you know that your package is recyclable and that you know we're we're operating at the least carbon footprint. So our right. the feedback is really broad and we've we've categorized it you know and, and put percentages of of who who's interested in what, but and but really it's 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 all across the board. So when you started, there were a couple of you guys, you knew other farmers or whatever, but you built this basically and co-op is maybe not the right word, but it's a cooperative venture for sure, but but legally maybe different. But how did you go out and did you have to go out and convince some other people to get to scale or you know, how did you put that all together? That was the easy part. Um, which, you know, I grew up in this community, farmers talk, you know, it was not many farmers that didn't know what was going on. And, and, you know, I had this, I had broken from the integrator and I was farming for myself. I mean, it it was, uh, I was the envy of the poultry community. And so um, when I was putting the processing facility together, a lot of farmers knew that I was going to be taking on growers. So I started, as they called, I started making this list of interested, you know, parties. You know, one of the first growers was my brother, you know, and some other friends. And so um, we've maintained that waiting list of completely unsolicited and uh, pre-qualified farmers. And, you know, today our waiting list is over 125 uh, farmers long because farmers talk and um, they talk about what's good and what's not. But obviously, it's just a testament to the need for a model like ours is when that many farmers uh, desire to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a growing, uh, still probably growing audience out there for the type of product. Um, what were the effects that the pandemic had, good or bad, on, on the business? So obviously, uh, we were blessed to be in the retail uh, business when uh, COVID hit and not predominantly in food service because when restaurants shut down, the food service industry took a, a hard hit, but retail sales leaped. But we uh, had some very proactive teams in operation and HR that um, even in late February and early March, when the first case was hitting California, they were uh, having meetings to set up an emergency response team. And I can't say that I fully grasped the the need for it at that time, but their proactiveness in setting up teams and putting things in place 
really early, early on, like buying a thousand gallons of hand sanitizer, putting in dividers, putting in monitoring systems that take every person's temperature coming and going from the facility so we can ensure that, um, you know, that we're not putting anyone at risk. Right. Uh, paid to where, you know, when the, when the retail demand hit and we, uh, most plants were struggling and, and a lot of them were shutting down for periods of time, we actually were able to ramp up production fairly significantly uh, without even losing a single shift. And um, it said, it spoke well to our customers that understood that when you treat people right and you manage your business tightly, you can manage through tough times like COVID. Yeah, it 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 um, it has been and 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 still is unfortunately um, as I like to call it mid pandemic as opposed to end of pandemic. But mid pandemic at this point, we see how it goes. Um, the impact on every type of food, beverage, wellness product, and the supply chain, and how some of them kind of made it and some of them didn't, or it failed entirely, or whatever. But um, it was. You know, it was one of one of those things, and how people got through that. A lot of food products, actually, in, in like the chickens, is all of a sudden people's demand went up. I I can't imagine what people's freezers looked like when after they got <laughs> done shopping for that that first round is everything in there, hamburgers and chicken and you know whatever else we're doing. But uh, that type of idea of I'm gonna I'm gonna stock up, you know, which is which is a sort of a, a critical thing in that. Um, so. Let's put the crystal ball in front a little bit. What's what's sort of down the road now? Now that you're here, I mean, you you, you got a you got a waiting list. Um, do you have more opportunities for getting into more retailers, or what does it look like? Yeah, you know, we we've built a wonderful foundation, and our model um, really works exceptionally well for farmers, and farmers love it and are thriving with it. So we continue to focus on new technologies and practices and things that we can adopt across uh, the farming community that will add to farm resiliency and, you know, improve the natural environment for the animal while lowering the cost and all of those things that will help our farmers thrive for generations, not just today. Right. So, and that's what I love, you know, because I've, I've spent an hour on the farm earlier this morning, you know, and, uh, Farming's in my blood, and um, I think that's one thing that gets uh, all of our farmers excited about what we're doing is they can come and have these conversations uh, with me, and I fully understand uh, all of what they feel on a day-to-day basis and um, and then can understand the impact of some of the technologies that we're wanting to adopt and, and research and stuff. So our focus going forward is to, yes, obviously, to continue to expand into new um, retail outlets and, and help our products be more available to consumers, but it's also to uh, really understand how we can increase quality while lowering the cost um, to produce, uh, which adds to uh, farm resiliency, but ultimately the consumers win as well through that process. Right. So, Corwin, how has, um, because, I, because I, I work with family farmers as well who are also processors, um, how much time you get to spend on the tractor nowadays? Not as much as I want. Uh, <laughs> I, knew know, that. I knew that. I knew that was a setup. But, I knew that. <laughs> but yep. a, a poultry farmer doesn't spend as much time on it on a tractor as a crop farmer. And I, 
I do have 200 acres of crops, but um, I have to uh, let some of the other guys in the area uh, spend more time on the tractor than I do. But um, I do uh, consistently and almost daily spend a little time in the barns with my birds. Right. That's right. Um, one of the things that's interesting, I think, is um, there has been, for me at least, watching the growth of organic poultry and humane poultry and whatever, which at the time that it started was at a, a pretty significant, you know, um, extra cost, if you will, compared to you know, what was out there, especially just private, private labeled or local. But the local movement also kind of helped that a little bit in the fact that all of a sudden it was like, oh, people want to buy local and, and son of a gun, there's a guy raising chickens down here. Um, and, and, you know, and doing it organically and doing it humanely and all, and all the certifications and stuff. And it really kind of helped that there was that little bit of emphasis on, you know, I don't need the thing to be half frozen and trucked halfway across the United States. That doesn't just sound like a good idea to me. So I think that's also helped with, you know, bringing people's attention to the fact that there's better stuff out there. And, uh, and I've seen some retailers begin to put into their sections um, that better for you and better meat that I would have told you, you know, five years ago, these guys are never going to stock that stuff, right? They're just not going to do it. So yep. there's, there's a little bit of a wave going on there. I think, I think too, with, you know, with what's going on, have you guys looked at is, is all of your stuff like, um, minimal processed or, you know, processed as we would know, just raw chicken. Do you do any value added with them or any plans for that? Yeah, we have launched some seasoned um, raw products and focused on, you know, forward flavors and and uh, really uh, unique but um, trending flavors. And we are really close to launching some sausages, meatballs, patties, some the next realm of innovation and right. value add. And then probably in the next 18 to 24 months, you'll see some fully cooked options uh, emerge there. So um, we've bolstered our innovation efforts and are really excited about what all is developing there. But our, our ultimate focus is to maintain that minimally processed, that clean process and yeah. that clean label. And it's really important to where you can uh, can pronounce and understand everything that's on the label. And, and uh, it, it's just, you know, as clean as the chickens we raise. And that, and that's, that's great. I, there's so, there's so much out there. I, I mean, we, we, in the industry, we make fun of labels, of course, because it's like a game where you, you take the, you, you read the label. Nobody, nobody can see what it is that you have in your hand or you have in the box, but you just read the label off and it's like, guess what that is, you know, and it's like, Whoa, what is that? What's in that? Not, not necessary, but that's great. So if folks want to find out more information, it's farmerfocus.com. Correct. Right. And uh, and then is there also store locator, retail locator on the on the site? Yes, there is. You can uh, go to the store locator, uh, punch in your location and it will um, show you where all it's available in your area. That's awesome. That's really great. Um, how did how did the family um, feel about your entrepreneurial instincts? Did they think you're crazy or supportive well, or how did it work? There was a most people thought I was crazy, I believe so. And that's not the first time I'd heard that, uh, you know, so and probably not the last. But, um, you know, once we got uh, going to a certain level and they saw how it worked for farmers, it worked for animals, 
and consumers wanted it and wanted to support it, then um, obviously the, the criticism kind of uh, died down. Died some. down a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, um, Corwin, you know, we, we, uh, we always try to extract a little bit of extra stuff from our, our, our entrepreneurs and, and um, to, uh, since the audience is made up uh, hopefully of mostly entrepreneurs, um, we're, um, we're looking for a little um, counsel, a little advice, a word, a phrase, a quote, maybe that we call words to grow by that you might want to leave with uh, your fellow entrepreneurs. You, you got anything for us? Well, yes. I, um, when entrepreneurs come to me and they ask, uh, for advice and they they bring an idea or something. I often refer them to what I've kind of labeled as the 80-20 rule. Um, you need to be 80% confident, but you only need to know about 20% of, of what it is that you're going to be going through to get there. Um, it's just like when, when I started to put a processing plant together, <laughs> you know, I knew nothing about processing. I knew way less than 20%. But we figured it out as we went. And a beautiful company, Farmer Focus, has emerged as a result of, of going ahead and diving in when a lot of people thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, and, and we know that, you know, nothing beautiful comes without a struggle. Um, and so uh, you have to be willing to embrace that struggle uh, without it. Um, you're probably not, not going to survive. But if there was one word I had to toss out there to hang on to, it would probably be uh, flexibility or adaptability. Because yeah. you heard how when we started, we had we were focused on you know the industrial and food service industry, and that was not right for us. And right. to shift uh, was very expensive, and took and we had to be as nimble as possible, or we would not have survived as a company. Then we had to shift again with our brand uh, when we understood what consumers want. So maintaining uh, a flexible model, not to be really tied to and, and really set and tied to one uh, channel or area, I think right. is, is really key to entrepreneur success. Absolutely. And that's great advice. Great, great counsel. Well, I just do it. Corwin, thanks so much for joining us today and taking the time. I know you're busy and you got chickens to raise and tractors to ride on. So uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Sure. Thank you, Steve. Enjoyed our time today. No problem. And it's farmerfocus.com, folks, if you want to meet your farmer and learn more about what's going on. By the way, thanks to everybody else for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information readily available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.